0: There was a headline in the new york times on the 7th of march 2022 which read the nun reshaping the role of women inside the vatican the article was about sister natalie Bicart, and yes she is a nun but is also the first woman in history to have the right to vote in the catholic synod She's the Undersecretary of the Synod of Bishops in Rome, appointed by Pope Francis. And she was in Adelaide recently for only one day to give a lecture on Synodality as Mission as part of a whirlwind Australian tour. And here at Parishes of Adelaide, I was very fortunate to get a chance to chat with Sister Natalie alongside Archbishop Pat only about an hour after her plane's wheels touched down. Sister Natalie, welcome to the Archdiocese of Adelaide. It is a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much. It's a blessing for me.
0: (laughs) Lovely. And Archbishop, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And again, it's just, I I feel very, very underqualified sitting in this room with you two here today, but I'll do my best to push on um, as best I can and not embarrass myself. Sister Nelly, let's go back to the very, very beginning for you in your life. Did you grow up in a religious family?
1: Yes, I could say that. I grew up in a Catholic family. I am the eldest of five. And so I discovered the faith, you know, through the family, the parish. I was in a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. uh, And then also I was very much uh, shaped by the experience of uh, Catholic scouting in France. Uh, Uh, Can
0: you describe what that is?
1: Well, the Catholic scout. or girl guides yeah and it's very strong in France
0: okay because we do have scouts and and guides here in Australia as well but it isn't specifically catholic in its in its nature Uh, how, how does being a catholic scout or a catholic girl guide how does that kind of shape the activities that you do when you're in that area
1: well, because in France you have different uh, scout movements for for each religion, oh, and really? the cast- yeah, yes, it's different from many English speaking countries where you have just one movement for everybody and um, so you go for summer camp camping and at the same time you know you already pray together and uh, you have a chaplain and that's how it uh, it was very really a good experience for me especially uh, for community experience we yeah. can say and <laughs> sometimes i i feel that becoming a religious as a Xavier sister in a community you know it's like a summer camp all the year
0: <laughs> yeah sure and i imagine like it's it's kind of um what what you're describing there is kind of very intensive youth ministry in a lot of ways it's i've never really thought about the idea of scout or guide movements being can be a kind of like a youth ministry especially if it's linked to a certain Christian denomination or faith.
1: Yeah, yes, it's true, and it's interesting because in France now we have three Catholic movements. In in fact, three, uh, but they are all uh, um, they are all more and more members, and it's the first uh, organization for youth in France. Really, and so for the church is really a great place to reach young people, to be with them, and uh, even if it's, you know, this movement is uh, led by lay. But the bishops' conference appoints the national uh, chaplain, I and then see. you have local chaplain. So it's it's a very important place in which you know you don't discover faith just by uh, uh, some teachings but you live uh, the experience of faith and of the church Mm -hmm. and also those catholic movements uh, the main one is welcoming young people who are not baptized but they discover also something of the, the experience.
0: What sort of age is that for? How old do you need to be and and how long can you stay in the movement for?
1: Well, you can begin at the age of uh, usually eight and then uh, you finish at... 1820, and then you are you can be leader yeah you know and that's also it was a great experience for me and for many young people it's really a way to exercise uh, some kind of leadership to serve the youngest and so that's also for young adults it's it's a very really good school of yeah. uh, leadership but also of ministry we can say
0: Fantastic. Now, when you left school, your first um, steps weren't towards like formally towards religious life. You went to the HEC Business School in Paris and you studied um, marketing, communications and entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. there. Is that right? So I'm really curious to know this. Like how much have you found of the things that you learned and acquired during that training still helps you? your work today
1: yes I I can say that because you know when after that during 30 years I have been involved in news ministry and uh, also working with team pastoral team I had to lead the big project like organizing the French delegation for World Youth Day so you really need also some kind of management skill or um, you know project management and uh, so, what I have already learned during my studies in entrepreneurship management has been very useful also for my ministry, yeah. uh, because I have been in charge of, yes, di- uh, managing different teams, organizing things. And also after that, when I enter religious life, I studied theology and it's also very useful. But I think that for pastoral today, theology is not enough. You also need o- other skills.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, fast forwarding a little bit. So you entered religious life. I've got here, you would have been about 26. Is that sound yeah, about yes, right? 1995. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about and um, talk a bit about your road to vocation? And whether there was like a particular moment or a landmark that stands out to you on that journey for you.
1: Yes, I can say during many, many years when I was young, I never thought about religious life. I was thinking, yes, I will be married. I will have children. But then at the end of my studies in this business school, I began to think, well, okay, I have, I was lucky to do good studies and now I will have to work. But what is really the meaning of life? <laughs> and yeah. that's how I began to think about uh, uh, my vocation, my call. And the landmark was that I decided at the end of my studies not to begin to work immediately, but to go for one year as a volunteer. I wanted to serve someone somewhere. And I went to Lebanon in Beirut in 1992, Wow, that would not have been a peaceful
0: place to be in 1992. It was
1: just after the Civil War. Yeah. And uh, I was also with refugees, um, young people. And I discovered young people, you know, who have been uh, grown up in a time of war. And being far from my country, I realized, you know, how I was lucky to live in a peaceful country, to receive good education. And then I discovered that the meaning of life, you know, is all you have received, it has no meaning if you don't give back. Yeah. Yeah. And then through my experience in Lebanon, especially also meeting young religious who were really uh, joyful and you can feel that the, to follow Christ in this life is, is a is a good way also uh, so that really is a year when i began to think more about religious life then i came back to france my discernment was not uh, yet mature so i continued to discern and i worked two years before entering religious life
0: I've never actually touched on your story about that, Archbishop. We've had many conversations in the past, but I've never known about your path to vocation. Was there was there like a moment for you that when you realised, you know, this is is going to be something that I really need to be considering in my life?
2: It wasn't a star. It was a constellation of things. Uh-huh. And a um, combination of uh, family, uh, life experience, and... Uh, a little bit uh, as uh, sister natalie was saying well how do all the pieces fit together mm. and it was always this relational sense of being in a constellation and being with
0: yeah and how old were you when you made that decision i think
2: it wasn't necessarily a making a decision this yeah. is it but it was a
0: setting on a path right which led to a commitment mm. and was, a was it that was it a long path for you like did you did uh, it take a long time for you to or was it something that started like from a very early age I don't think it was, it
2: may well have started there, but the formal path was a seven-year journey, which I think is the, um, the wisdom of having a long formation time. Yeah. So it's not just about doing courses and things, but it's uh, a discernment time, we'd say, these days as well. Yeah. It's not just about, uh, okay, I've done the theology, I've done this, I know how to be a priest kind of thing, but actually am I called to be that? And that's a di- a, a, another
0: discovery as well. Yeah.
2: And something, I guess, you renew each day.
0: Absolutely. So the journey that's so true. That is so Mm -hmm. true. Uh, Sister Natalie, people um, who follow a vocation, even the same vocation, quite often do it for different reasons and different motivations and things that have they feel that they've been called to in their life. Was there something in particular that you felt in your vocation that you were being called and motivated to do?
1: Well, you know, um, so I enter in this community. Xavier's sister. We are an Ignatian order, and the the motto of the community is passionate for Christ, passionate for the world. And today I add passionate for the church. So it's really, you know, this idea that uh, we want to follow Christ, but not on the moon in this <laughs> world <laughs> where we are. And, and, uh, and God is present in our world, you know. Yeah. And so it's also through this experience of Ignatian spirituality, how to find God uh, everywhere. In, um through, through the life and how um, you can also love this world of course you have to discern there are good things and and bad things but uh, I I can feel that this, call to follow Christ is ready to follow Christ in a very incarnated way yeah. <laughs> uh, in this world, in this society at this time, and to try to uh, listen to the Holy Spirit, uh, to ready to be, we say in my community, to be at the disposal of the Holy Spirit and to discern and follow uh, the call of God there.
0: Yeah. I want to touch on one thing. I've read this fantastic article about you yesterday in relation to what you're saying about God being everywhere, Mm encountering God everywhere. I read that when you were young, um, you spent a lot of holidays down um, by the sea. And in that time, you learned to sail and became Mm -hmm. a very accomplished sailor (laughs) from a very young age. Now, That actually has big relevance for you in your work later. Can you tell us a little bit about the Life at Sea Entry into Prayer Association and describe the sorts of things that you did with people there?
1: Yes, you know, it's very interesting because I used to to learn to sell and during my studies especially I did a lot of selling races. I was president of the selling club in this business school. Then I entered religious life. So I thought, okay, I will never sell again. I remember my last selling race, and I say, is it the last time. And during four years, I didn't sell. But my, you know, I have been shaped by this experience of the sea, of setting and uh, it's really, sometimes when people ask me, where do you come from? I have moved a lot when I was young. So at the end, I say, well, I'm coming from the sea. <laughs> My roots are in the sea. And <laughs> do you
0: get weird expressions when you say <laughs> that? Where are you from? The sea.
1: <laughs> Great,
0: lovely, I love the sea.
1: That's why I, li- I like to be Great here, because there. just this morning arriving, I saw the ah. sea and um, so during four years i didn't uh, sell but my superiors knew that uh, in france there was this association life in the sea uh, life of prayer so it and it's with the ignatian youth movement they have organized to propose to young adults a way to do a kind of retreat uh, and spiritual experience on the sailing boats as a way also to reach people, you know, many people, they like sports, they like to be uh, uh, in the sea. And um, so I receive again this place of sailing as a place of ministry. And these retreats on sailing boats are a kind of school of prayer and school of sailing. And so for me, that was wonderful. And I received also through the experience of sailing and through the experience of, um, you know, the experience of the sea, a language and some ways to speak about spiritual life. Because the pedagogy of these retreats on sailing boats is really to use a sea metaphor as a way to speak about uh, spiritual life. And we pray usually, you know, in the gospel, you have many passage when Jesus is on the boat with the disciples, he's speaking uh, on the beach, he's calling the disciples when they are just coming back from fishing. So when you pray on the beach, you know, when you are selling those passages of the gospel, it resonates in a new way. Mm. And it gives young people a way also to speak about their life with all the metaphor of, uh, you know, the wind, the storms. uh, And so that's a great place to, and also being in the creation like this, you know, you already contemplate God as a creator.
0: Can you tell me a bit about your path that led you to becoming the general coordinator of the pre synod and the auditor for the synod in 2018?
1: Well, you know, I have been um, involved in youth ministries do- during 30 years in many different ways. So, first, with doing a lot of things with this youth Ignatian network. Then I became, um, I was called to do campus ministry in a big university near Paris. And then the bishops in France called me to be the national uh, director for our university pastoral uh, care network. And then I was appointed director of the national office for uh, youth evangelization and for vocations uh, um, at the bishops' conference. So I was involved in that, and so when Pope Francis announced, you know, a synod of bishops on youth, faith, and vocational discernment, that was exactly (laughs) the the field of our national office for youth and vocation. And the French bishop, because before we had two separate offices, one national office for uh, youth ministry, we can say, and another national office for vocations. And at the time, our bishops decided to put them together. So that also to emphasize that uh, when you serve the youth in youth ministry, you have to help them to um, understand and discern their vocation, because uh, you know each one has a vocation. And so in a way, they have been... Um, uh, a little bit prophetic, <laughs> I would say, because to merge these two offices. And so when the Synod on Youth was uh, convoked by Pope Francis, I had with my team uh, to organize, you know, the consultation before to help all our diocesan office for youth and vocation and all uh, youth movements and uh, youth ministers to be uh, involved in this preparation of the Synod on Youth. And uh, we used to have also, I used to be involved in uh, the organization of World Youth Day, especially for the French delegation. And we used to have international meetings. Um, and at a time in Rome, they organized to have a preparatory meeting for World Youth Day. And as the Synod was announced, to have also two days on the preparation of the Synod. And I had to talk about what we have already done in France. And from that, you know, the people from the Synod office, they asked me to come to Rome also for some uh, preparatory meetings. And then I was called to come to the Pre-Synod. And then uh, Pope Francis appointed me uh, as observer. So I had this experience to serve the preparation of the Synod in France but also in Rome.
0: Yeah, wow. Now, your current role as the Undersecretary of the Synod, so you're the first – I've I've read these headlines everywhere – you're the very first woman in history to have this role and therefore the right to vote in the Synod, so you're the very first woman who's ever had the opportunity to do that. Now, that's an enormously big, monumental thing. So many people would probably be looking at you now and saying – you need to be the voice of all women in the entire church. (laughs) Is that an overwhelming thought? Is that an overwhelming idea? How do you find it?
1: Well, you know, it's true that it's not me, but through this call uh, that Pope Francis for the first time, because before the undersecretary was always a bishop and Mm. Pope Francis, you know, because he wants to also emphasize the role uh, of women and it, you now you have more women in different leadership roles at the Vatican. So I was called there. And um, I would say that I feel as a woman, but also as a religious uh, sister and as a lay, because, you know, uh, in, in the sense we are not uh, clerics. <laughs> so I feel and I can only leave this role very, very connected. It's not me. It's not me alone. It's it's all together. So it's true that I really try to be there, very connected uh, with uh, I would say all the people of God, especially lay people, women, sisters, and um, to be there as also the voice. Yeah. But it's it's not alone. And from the beginning, I have received so many messages and. Uh, people telling me, we pray for you, we are with you, so I can, I feel, and every day I feel all, all my limitations, you know, I was so surprised to be called there, but uh, I can really rely and live that because I feel I'm not alone. We are all in communion yeah. and uh, it's the most important is, is not me, it's also what everybody is doing at every level of the church.
0: Now we've just had an Adelaide Diocesan Assembly. We've actually had a second one. We've we've done two, and and uh, Bishop Pat, you were there for, for for everything, guiding the process, going through all of that. For you, what was the highlight of this idea? Because synodality, the the word just kept getting mentioned all the time. This idea of our community and and how important synodality is. Through that lens, what's been the highlight? The thing that you've discovered about our archdiocese that's that's really lit a fire under you.
2: I think the concept of family is really the the lens through which you look. I mean, synodality is a a term that we do use, and it's a technical term. Mm. But I think the more accessible term is family. And the diocese has been through a few difficult years, and then we had COVID, and the family hadn't had a chance to get together to talk about the joys and the hopes to, uh, to use a phrase from uh, yeah. Gaudium and Spes, And uh, I think that was the highlight, that the family was able to get together and there was a sense of solidarity, that uh, we are in this together. It is an opportunity for us to walk this journey together. Now, we do call it that, that technical term, synodality, but I think the more accessible experience is family. Yeah. We are a diocesan family. We belong to many... And the sheer diversity that we now have, which is so different in the last 20 years that makes up the reality of the uh, the church in Adelaide, um, I'm not sure that we've attended to that as much um, or recognised that, but whatever the diversity, there is still this
0: sense of being a family on the journey together. And I think one of the things that you actually said in one of your promotional videos for the Diocesan Assembly was you referred to uh, our community our diocese as a family and mm. a number of people said to me how uh, moving and meaningful they actually found the way you referred to us as a community in that way so I didn't know if you'd heard that feedback at all people were very they loved that they loved that they love that you referred to it in that way because it really did feel like it summed up what we were really aiming for and aspiring to be as well as you know what we are at, at our best moments yep. now tonight sister Natalie your presentation is going to be called synodality as mission and see, that's very mysterious and very intriguing and doesn't really give a lot away. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that term synodality as mission and the kind of things that you might be touching on in your presentation tonight?
1: Well, you know, maybe the first thing, and to link also with what you, you say, uh, I was touched to listen to you with expressing this idea of the church as a family, the diocese as a family. And I often say, in a way, the first school of synodality is the family. That's where you learn to listen, to dialogue, to be in a unity, but with differences. And um, I had really this strong experience when um, you mentioned that I was part of the Synod on young people. And during one month in Rome, we really experienced the church as brothers and sisters in Christ as a family, a family of God. And one of the main output of the Synod on Young People, what we have understood through this process of listening to young people and what the Synodal Fathers who were there have discerned is really that the only way to transmit the faith today to be the church in this world um, and to continue to proclaim the gospel and ready to reach and evangelize the young people is to be a synodal church. Mm-hmm. But the term that was used and that you can find in the final document of the on young people is missionary synodality. And in a way, when you speak about synodality, you should always speak about missionary synodality. But it's a kind of... Play on us, because uh, you know the nature of the church is missionary, and it's written in a, a document of the Council Ad Gentes, first article: the nature of the church is missionary. So the the aim of the church is not just to be a nice family among us, uh, like a, a cocoon, <laughs> but it's ready to serve the people uh, to be an outgoing uh, church. And recently, Cardinal Mario Grech, who is the General Secretary of the Synod, with whom I am working, he, he gave a short presentation from uh, the church in Ireland, because now they are doing a national synodal pathway. And uh, he said, you know, synodality and evangelization is the two faces of the same coin, <laughs> So, it's also this idea when you speak about synodality as mission, you know, it's to to help people to understand that uh, it's the communion that is missionary. The church is a communion in mission and we can remind in John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter uh, 17, may all be one so that the world believes. So it's it's really this idea that to to be a missionary church to continue to serve the people, serve the society, serve the common good, to evangelize, uh, it's not alone. You have to be uh, this uh, and to foster communion and uh, synodality as two perspectives that you never should um, separate. <laughs> Uh, we can say the church ad intra, the way to be church altogether as bataille, as people of God, but it goes hand in hand with a way to be a missionary church uh, in the world, with the people, with all the people, in this style of dialogue and, uh, and mission.
0: Would you give any advice, any tips to us as an archdiocese about the ways in which we can be more synodal in in the way that we are in community with one another?
1: Well, you know, it's really, that's why the the first step we can say, or to be synodal is really to uh, read the sign of the times, to listen to the needs and the call of the Holy Spirit and uh, to be together uh, to serve. You know, so it's the more a diocese as a way to discern together what are the key issues of the people in this territory, what are the needs, what are the call, uh, what are the challenges, and um, and the way you can help, especially parishes, but also all church, we can say, organization. You know, to be not to be just centered. Uh, um, uh, among yourself, but to, be, to have this outgoing uh, spirit, the more you will be synodal. And uh, what I have learned really through youth ministry is that, uh, you know, if you work alone, even if you have a lot of charism and gift, maybe you will do some good work, but you only reach a few people. <laughs> and if you work as a team, fostering this communion uh, but in a dynamic way to serve the people, you are always better and it's always fruitful because you cross-read the the, the needs, you you are more intelligent, (laughs) you know, as a group than someone alone. Yeah. So that's why I would say uh, and I would encourage uh, each diocese and parishes and all um, ministries ready to foster this teamwork, this journey together um, with this view of really listening to the people and listening to the needs and to the call to uh, face the main issues and the main uh, uh, problems also of the of the people.
0: Wonderful. Just to finish up, i just want to ask this one question of both of you. Archbishop, if you could have one hope for the outcome of this particular Synod, the one that's going on at the moment, uh, what would that be if you could have one hope of an outcome?
2: That people feel more confident in what they're doing because I think there's a tentativeness about things, And people tend to fracture in the extreme, rather than occupying a sense of communion in the middle. Yeah. And if people have a a confidence, I think that's uh, what is one of the deepest needs at the moment.
0: Yeah, Sister Natalie, how about you? If you had one hope for the outcomes of this of this synod, what would what would that be?
1: Well, I, I hope that really, you know, through this process and this synod, more and more baptized realize that they are called to be missionary disciples and protagonists and uh, that we can, uh, you know, all together really carry on the mission of the church because it's so much needed today. So I really hope this Synod can, and I have already seen that, continue to empower uh, the baptized so that they are really missionary disciples.
0: Wonderful. Archbishop, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And Sister Natalie, it has been a real honour to meet you and get the chance to speak to you today. Thank you very much for appearing on the Parishes of Adelaide podcast.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Now, if you want to watch and hear Sister Natalie's Synodality as Mission lecture, as well as the questions and answers from the audience in attendance, the link is in the show notes of this episode. It was live streamed on YouTube and the whole video is there. This Parishes of Adelaide podcast was produced by me, James Meston, for ArchD Radio and Podcasting. We've got some other fantastic episodes to check out at the moment in the Catholic Youth Podcast Series from the Catholic Office for Youth and Young Adults, which is a great how-to guide on everything from putting on Catholic events to spiritual practices in schools, to how to create a sacred space and heaps more. And the RHD Radio Podcast is all about the stories of people involved in Catholic youth ministry how their journey started, highlights, challenges, and authentic moments of encounter. I've put the links to those episodes in the show notes too. A big thanks to Sister Natalie and Archbishop Pat for taking the time on a very hectic day to be a part of the show. And thanks to Peter and Lauren Beerer for the use of their song Together on the Way, which you are hearing now. And a big thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone else who you think may enjoy it too. See you soon.